You know, as we celebrate Martin Luther King weekend, Martin Luther King Day on Monday, you know what Martin Luther King's dream was for our country, that was God's dream for the church. In fact, Paul put it this way, when it comes to Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ, neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, Scythian or barbarian, free or slave, all one united around Jesus Christ, the head Jesus Christ. And next week, we're actually going to look at that, James chapter 2, where James talks about the challenge in churches of favoritism and prejudice and, and putting some people on a pedestal and not wrecking other people, wrecking other people. We do that sometimes. We do that all the time, right? recognizing other people. And the point is, is that God has a different value system when it comes to people than we do. And we're going to look at that next week. I hope you'll, but this week we're in our third week of the study of James. We're in our series. We're calling apply as directed. And we're discovering in this series that as Christians, if we don't do something with what we say, we believe, if we don't do something with our faith, James says it's worthless. It's a dead faith. In other words, we can know all the right theology, uh, we can be in complete agreement with God about everything. You can say things like I used to say growing up. I believe the Bible from cover to cover, and I even believe the cover that says Holy Bible. Maybe you didn't grow up in my kind of church, but we used to say things like that. You can say things like that, but James says, if we don't do something with our faith, if we don't actually apply what we say we believe, it's not going to have any impact on our day-to-day -day life. In fact, just believing, believing the right stuff, it won't help your marriage. Believing the right stuff won't help you as a parent. It won't help you at work. It won't help you with your financial life. It won't make any difference in any area of your life. James says it is a dead faith. And it's not because you believe the wrong stuff. It's because you're just not doing anything with what you say you believe. And that may explain why as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've accepted God's free gift of salvation in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled back to God. You've made that decision. Maybe it was an Easter when you showed up at church. Maybe it was Christmas, just past Christmas when we went through our, our series about Christmas. But you've made that decision. But the reality, as you sit here this weekend, there just hasn't been a lot of life change. I mean, you would be honest about it. You would say, I, I haven't seen that transformation. I'm not experiencing that abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 10, verse 10. In fact, many of you here this weekend, uh, it's been years since you've been in church. I speak to people every week. They'll say, you know, Mike, it's the first time I've been in church five years, 10 years, 15 years, maybe even 20 years. And let me just say, if that describes you this weekend, first of all, we are really, really glad that you're here. But in reality, you stopped going to church years ago because you went week after week after week after week, and it just didn't seem to make any difference in your life. And you finally thought, you know, I got problems. And they're not getting fixed at church. I mean, I got problems. I'm going to church every week. I'm still miserable. I could be miserable at the beach. I'll take the beach. At least you can get some sun there, right? And you stop going to church. And the problem is you thought that by just showing up at church every weekend, going through the routine, that your life was going to change. You thought that things were just going to magically get better. Because I'm going to church, my marriage is going to get better. My kids are going to get better. My family's going to get better. My career is going to get better. But it didn't happen. And so you gave up on church. But James makes two promises in the verses that we're looking at this weekend. He says, first of all, James says, if you will learn to live out what you believe, if you will learn to put action to your faith, you're going to, first of all, position yourself to be blessed by God. In other words, God will be able to bless your life in a way that he couldn't otherwise. And I don't know about you, but I want God to bless my life. I, I mean, maybe it sounds self-serving, but I want to be in a place where if God wants to bless me, I'm in a position to be blessed. I want to be blessable. So he says that. But second, James says, if you will put action to your faith, God will use what you do to save and preserve 
and even heal your soul. By the way, what is your soul? Well, you know, some of the verses in the Bible say that uh, we have a soul. Other verses in the Bible say that we are a soul, but the soul is that part of us that's going to live somewhere forever. Now, while we're alive on earth, our body anchors our soul to this earth, but one day when we die, our soul is gonna to continue to live in one of two places. If you believe the Bible, it says, you're either gonna live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. See, we all have eternal life. It's just a matter of not where you're going to spend it, right? But our soul, when you think of your soul, think of it this way. When you have peace or you have contentment in your life, where is it? Well, you say, well, I guess it's not just in my mind and it's not just an emotion and it's certainly not just a feeling. Where is it? Well, I can tell you where it is. It's in your soul. Or maybe you're here this weekend and you're just a very, very angry person. And it's not just that you feel angry. We all feel angry from time to time. But for some of you here this weekend, there's this, there's this internal angst. There's this frustration. There's this bitterness. Where is that? Well, it's in your soul. Your soul is out of kilter. Your soul is out of, so out of source. All of your anger is residing in your soul. Or, or maybe you're here this weekend and you would say, deep down inside of me, I would be the first one to admit something's not right. There's just this uneasiness. There's this unrest. And, and you know it's more than just a thought. It's more than just an emotion. You would think, man, it's me, right? God would say, that's your soul. You see, our soul is that, it's, it's that intangible part of us that's always being influenced by the tangible things around us, things like our circumstances, our thoughts, our actions, our behavior. And, and as Christians, this tangible is always gonna be in conflict with the, tan, with the intangible. There's always gonna be this war, as long as we're alive and attached to the body, there's always gonna be this war that is raging between our circumstances and our life and what's going on in our soul. Peter said it this way in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, that would be the tangible, which wage war against your soul. Now, if you're a Christian, all of us have faced this, this tension in our life. We experience tension because the world we're living in, it's, it's waging war against our soul. But James says this, if you will begin to live out what you believe, if you will begin to do what your faith implies that you should do, in other words, as you come across a biblical principle, as you learn a new biblical truth, your attitude is, how do I apply this to my life? How do I begin to live out this biblical principle, this truth in my life? James says, if you will begin to think that way, if you will begin to act on your faith, God is going to partner with you in the saving and the preservation and the healing of your soul. Now, he's not talking about going to heaven when you die. As I said before, James is talking to believers, those who are already Christians. You know, that is taken care of when you make that decision to accept God's free gift of salvation, what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross by the shedding of his blood, so that you could be reconciled back to God. That's a free gift. That, there's nothing you can do to earn that. It's a gift. You either take it or you don't, right? We're talking about by grace, through faith. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it's not anything you can do. You can't boast about it. So when James talks about the saving of your soul, understand he's talking about the here and now, today, this afternoon, as you're watching the playoff game. It's this war, okay, that is raging in our soul. I mean, if I were to go around and interview you all this morning, we would all say, listen, we, we all want peace, right? We all want contentment, you know. We all want the ability to get rid of anger and jealousy and greed. We don't want those things in our life. But Peter says this war is going to be raging. And James says that God will partner with us 
in this process of saving, preserving, and healing our souls. But this is what you got to learn this weekend. It's going to take a lot more than us just listening to a message every once in a while. It's going to take more than us just believing that the Bible is the Word of God. James says there are some things that you're actually going to have to do. And, and, and those things may make us uncomfortable. And, and some of the things that we have to do, they may not make sense to the people around us, but we've got to start doing them because the process that God uses to bring about healing and preservation to our soul is by beginning to live out our faith. Now that's what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. If you have your Bible, James chapter 1 verse 19, and James is beginning a new subject, and this is what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to Christians. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. By the way, that's one of those doing things, right? Slow, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That one verse right there, that would transform some of your homes. That one verse would transform some of your marriages, your relationships. I mean, if you would just do that one thing, begin to live that out, it would make a big difference in your life. But he goes on to say, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And we all know that's true. We know that the outcome of our anger rarely is good. I mean, no one's ever come to my office and said, you know what, Mike, we had a lot of marriage problems. But I got to tell you, Mike, as we got angrier and angrier and angrier at each other, our marriage got better and better and better. You know, no one's ever said that. And it just doesn't work that way. And so James goes on to say in verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil. See, that's the tangible stuff we talked about earlier. That is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I teach out of the NIV, and that's what the NIV says. But what's interesting if you could read this in the Greek, it actually says, which can save your soul. In fact, I, I put up a little, this is my Greek New Testament. You'll see, hearing and doing the word, verse 21. See the word right there? You see the little word sucker right there? You got that? Okay, that's, that's dukas, okay? It literally means soul. And so, for some reason, the NIV chose to leave it out. Every other translation has it. If you have the New American Standard, it says save your soul. If you, have the, if you have the King James Version, it says save your soul. But I think the NIV kind of missed it on this one. They left it out. Gary Vett's our resident thought, scholar, Dr. Gary Vett. And I asked him, why would they leave it out? And he said, well, maybe the translators thought it was redundant. But what it really should say is humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save your soul. What James is saying is this. All of us who are believers... All of us who have crossed that line, we've put our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. All of us who are Christians have some word, we have some truth of God that's been planted in us. Maybe it's because you've been going to church, you've heard the truth, or maybe you've been reading through your Bible. Maybe you're in a small group. Maybe you go to Bible study fellowship, right? But you've got some truth, a little bit of truth, at least that's in you. So James says this, in order for there to be the preservation of your soul, in order for your life to begin to change inwardly so that your actions begin to change outwardly, he says at some point you've got to embrace what God has already put in you. Let me explain it this way. Maybe there's a, a truth or a biblical principle. You know it's there, but as you're living out your life, you're refusing to acknowledge it, right? You're refusing to live it out. And because you're resisting the truth that God has put in you, right? you are paying a high price at the level of your soul. I mean, on one hand, you're, 
you're arguing with God. On one hand, you're debating with God. Uh, On one hand, you're refusing what God wants you to do in your life. But then on the other hand, you're saying, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. Make my marriage better. Make my job better. Make my children better. James says it just doesn't work that way. It's kind of like going to the doctor and you're sick and the doctor says, don't worry, we have a great medication. If I give you this and you take the medication, you're going to be better. Well, you can accept what the doctor says is true. You can even believe that if you take the medicine, it will actually make a difference, right? But if you never take the medication, there's not going to be any change in you physically. In the same way, the changes that as Christians that you want to see at the fundamental level of your soul, I'm talking about things like peace, things like contentment, things like the ability to deal with your temper, the ability to deal with your anger, the ability to forgive one another, forgive those people who have hurt you. James says it's all tied to your willingness to say to God, God, I am willing to accept. And God, I am willing to receive. In other words, you agree with God that it's true. The implanted word that you've put in my life. And James says, when you do that, when you do that, It will begin to result in the preservation, the healing of your soul right now in this life. But understand, that transformation is not going to happen by you arguing with God all the time, disagreeing with God all the time. You've got to get to the place where you put down your defenses and you receive and you accept the implanted word of God, which can save your soul. Now, many of you here this weekend, you, you would say that's my story. You would say, Mike, I get it. I accepted the free gift of salvation. I began my relationship with God. I began that journey with God. But Mike, you know, it was rocky at first. I argued with God and I fought with God and I debated God and I resisted God. But I remember the day. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the circumstances when I said, God, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. I'm not going to resist or argue with you anymore. God, whatever you say in your word, I am just going to accept it as your truth. And you say, Mike, now that I think back about it. That was the beginning of my life changing on the inside, which led to my behavior and my lifestyle changing on the outside. And as you sit here this weekend, you would say, I have peace. You have contentment. As you sit here this weekend, you're not controlled by jealousy. You're not controlled by anger. You're not controlled by resentment. And it's all because you accepted the implanted word and God used that to save and preserve and to heal your soul. So James says in verse 22 this, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Look what it says, do what it says. It's interesting, the Greek word here for deceive means to reckon wrongly. It's a mathematical term. it, It means you added up all the numbers, but you came to the wrong conclusion. Don't deceive yourselves. And so what James is saying is this, if you, can just, if you think you can just hear the word, if you think you can just receive the word, agree with God, yeah, I believe it's true, and you think by, by, by accepting and receiving that your life is going to change, James says you have reckoned wrongly, you have arrived at the wrong conclusion because just hearing and receiving will do nothing at the soul level. You've gotta take the next step. You've gotta to begin to live out, do something with what you say you believe. And then he gives us this great illustration in verse 23. He says, anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And this is a picture of some guy getting up in the morning, stumbles into the bathroom, flips on the light, looks in the mirror, got dried up drool all over his face, stubble, 
hair looks like chicken slept in it all night. I mean, it's that look, right? But after looking at himself, he just turns and walks out the door. In fact, you notice the verse says, he immediately forgets. It literally means in the Greek, he intentionally puts out of his mind. In other words, he sees what he looks like, but he intentionally puts out of his mind what he looks like, and he says, I'm not gonna do anything about what I just saw. Now, let's be honest. We would never do that physically, would we? We take as much time every day it is needed so that we feel like we look presentable, whether we're gonna go to school, whether we're gonna go to work, whether we're gonna go meet someone for coffee, we wanna look presentable. But when you think about it, our physical appearance outwardly has very little to do with the dysfunction of our soul. I mean, not many of us could say, you know what? My problems really started because of the way I look. You know, somebody could say that, but not many of us could say that. But isn't it true, let's just be honest, don't we spend a lot more time on the outside of our lives than we do on the inside of our lives? In fact, I know how long you stood in front of the mirror this morning. You stood there for as long as it took for you to look the way you wanted to look. In fact, some of you didn't just use one mirror. Some of you ladies, you, you used several mirrors. I mean, you went in the bathroom and you kind of got fixed up a little bit, but you went downstairs and you well, it's not quite acceptable. So you changed your hair a little bit or fixed your, fixed your lipstick. And by now the husband's blowing the horn. Come on, honey, we're going to be late for church, right? So you get in the car. What'd you do? Pull down the visor. You got a mirror there, right? And you continue to work. And you got to church. The first thing you did, you went to the women's restroom. You, you saw some more stuff. You didn't quite, and you fixed it. My point is, we don't just look in the mirror. When we see what we look like, we do something about it. And James is saying here, when it comes to our spiritual lives, for us to know what's going on in our life, but then just to choose to walk away and do nothing about it, it's just like the person who looks in a mirror, sees what's true of them physically, but makes the choice to ignore what they see. In fact, the Greek literally says, he looks in the mirror and he forgets what kind of person he was. Wow. And so what James is saying is this. As a Christian, you know enough of God's word to be aware of what it is he wants you to do. You know enough of God's word to understand what it is he wants you to become. So why would you look and see what needs to change in your life and then immediately walk away and forget what kind of person you are? James says you would never do that physically. But in the area of our life that is so important to us, and I'm talking about the part that has to do with our soul, James would say you are negligent. And that's what it's like when you hear God's word and acknowledge that it's true, but you refuse to do anything about it. Does that sound familiar? Well, yeah. I mean, we do this on a regular basis. So what's the goal? What is it that God wants us to do? Well, James gives us the goal in verse 25. He says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. By the, that, that is a great description of God's word. Those are two words that don't normally go together, law and freedom. But James says, this is a law that gives freedom. This is the law that brings healing at the soul level. Verse 25, whoever looks intently. See the word intently there in the Greek? It means to stoop down and focus. I mean, you are so into it, right? Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I thought of this on Christmas Eve. Uh, we have two boys, they're both married. Our older son, we love him more because he's given us grandkids. 
And uh, we now have three. And so our kids and our grandkids and all their dogs, so it's a package deal these days, they all spent the night with us on Christmas Eve so we could get up Christmas morning together. And I noticed that my grandkids, they got a lot of, they got a lot of Legos. But dad wouldn't let them, Aaron wouldn't let them open the Legos. And later on that afternoon when we had a little bit of time, it was interesting what they did. They got around the kitchen table, they, they opened the Legos, they laid them all out because it's very complicated. And you know, Brent, uh, Brent is five, uh, almost five, and Olivia's six. And uh, Aaron then sat there and he unfolded the directions. And, and basically this is how it went down. He would say, okay, Olivia, take that piece and put it right here. And she would take the piece and put it there. And okay, Brendan, you get this piece and you put it right there. And, and they could build stuff like this. I'm, I'm telling you, there's no way you could put this together without the directions. In fact, some of this fell apart in the green room. It's, stay, it's still laying back there. I have no clue where it goes. I'm gonna have a very angry granddaughter when I give her you know, Repuzzle's castle back to her, right? But you know what, you have to go step by step with the directions, and I thought that's what James is talking about. He says, as a Christian, if you wanna move into the category of being blessable, this is the person who's serious about God doing something at the soul level of their life. This is the person who takes God's word, the law that brings freedom, and they just sit down and they begin to look into it the way you would look into a mirror, and they begin to focus on it. And they decide, oh, there's something that needs to be done, and they do it. And then they study some more, and they focus some more, and they look some more, and they figure out what else needs to be done, and they do it. And they can, you never stop. They continue in this process throughout their Christian journey. And when they mess up, they say, oops, that's not right. That piece certainly doesn't belong there. I got to fix that. And they stoop down, and they stay focused on the Bible, the instructions for life, that reflects what they're supposed to look like, what the finished product is supposed to look like, and they continue to do what needs to be done. You know what God is really saying to us through this passage? <laughs> I wanna do something amazing in your life. I got a plan for you that would blow your mind, but work with me, people. Work with me. And James says, here's the promise. When you decide that you'll work with God, when you'll partner with God in that process, James says, it makes you a more blessable person. And more importantly, it, God, it allows God to go to work at the soul level of your life. Things that you've been struggling, see, it allows God to save you from lust. It allows God to save you from greed and anger and jealousy. It allows God to break that bond of materialism. It allows God to save you from the things that war against your soul day after day after day after day. So God says this, I want to preserve you. I want to save you. I, I want to heal you at the soul level, but you got to understand, God says, I play a part and you play a part. Your part is to get really, really familiar with my word. Your part is to get really, really familiar with what I expect of you. And then you do whatever needs to be done to bring your life into alignment with my expectations of you. And you do it when it makes sense. And you do it when it doesn't make sense. And you do it when it's hard. And you do it when nobody else is doing it. You stay focused on this perfect law that brings freedom. And verse 25 says, if you do that, you'll be blessed. Look how it says, they will be blessed. The person who lives that way, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you know what the word blessed means? It means you'll be fulfilled. It means finally you'll be happy. It means as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be content. That's what the person experiences who listens and receives and puts into practice. 
I mean, that's a powerful promise, isn't it? Thank you, Mac. James says that maximum peace, you want peace? Maximum contentment, you want contentment? Maximum joy, do you want to be joyful? Maximum blessability is found within the context of doing what your faith implies that you do. It's acting on what you say you believe. And James says when you do that, you open up all kinds of possibilities as to what God wants to do in you and through you and around your life. Think of it this way. Isn't it true that the parts of your life that you wish you could erase, the memories in your life you wish you could erase, isn't it true that most of that stuff could have been avoided if you would have just been a doer of the word five years ago, two years ago, six months ago, two weeks ago? Isn't it true that you would have never gotten into the sum of the relationships that you got into that caused you the most grief in life if you would have chosen to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the world, word? I mean, let's be honest. Starting with me, most of us, our souls would be in much better shape today if one, two, five, maybe ten years ago, we would have decided to be doers of God's word. I got an email this week, and I asked the young man, could I share it with you? And he said I could. He says, to be honest, I'm not sure how to word this email exactly. On November 19th, I was arrested in my dorm room for, for possessing two and a half to three ounces of marijuana. I was expelled from the university. I'm now on a two-year suspension from school. I was charged with a felony, but the judge gave me 225 hours of community service, a year of probation, a year of random drug test, and if and when all goes well, the case will be dismissed as if it never happened. Once I was released from jail, I started attending Hope at the Holly Springs location, and I've recently switched to the main campus. And needless to say, listening to your teaching has impacted me. On Sunday, when you made the reference about that phone call and how long God can bring us down before taking us back up, I actually broke down in tears. Considering it wasn't until after I was arrested, I started to have faith in God. Now here's the key word, again. In other words, he was walking with God, he drifted away from God, and he stopped doing life God's way, and he started to do life his own way. Do you know what his wish is? He wishes during that period of time, he would have been a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. I'm just going to tell you something practically, people. When you're a doer of the word, it just makes life better. When you are a doer of the word, it just makes life easier. Now, you can't undo the past. We can learn from the past. God is an incredible God of mercy and grace, and we're reminded in lamentation that his mercies are renewed every morning. You can't undo the past, but this is what God is saying to us right now in this moment. Forget the past. Would you trust me from this point on? Would you do that? I mean, let's be honest. Some of you, I know your lives. You got here on your own? How's that working out for you? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, so God says, forget that. Would you begin to trust me from this point on? And God, it's like God saying, listen, I know it's hard for you to get out of that relationship that you shouldn't be in. 
Or maybe you're married and you want out of the relationship and God's trying to remind you, whoa, 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 better for worse, richer for poor, in sickness and in health till death us do part. That's the vow you made to one another and to God. God says, I know it's hard for you to stay in that relationship. I know it's hard to apologize. I know it's hard to forgive that person who abused you. God says, I know it's hard to carve out time in your life to serve other people or to take that step of faith and begin to give of your resources. I know it's hard to tell all your friends and peers that I can't hang out with you anymore. I know it's hard to tell your buddies at work that you can't go to the strip club anymore. I know it's hard to tell your boyfriend we can't have sex anymore until we get married. But God is saying to us, if you will do what your faith demands that you do, you will be blessed. If you will do what your faith demands that you do, you allow God to partner with you to preserve and save and heal you at the soul level of your life. Now, I'm just going to step out on a limb here. That's what we all want. But here's the big question. Are you willing to take the next step? You see, some of you are here for the first time. My challenge to you would be, would you take the next step of becoming a hearer of the word? I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm not asking you to apply it. But would you say, hey, I'll take the next step. I'm going to at least show up for a while and listen and see what this relationship with God through Jesus Christ is all about. I'll do that. Some of you, you've been showing up and hearing and hearing and hearing for years. And you've also been arguing and arguing and arguing with God for years. You know what the next step is for you? It's to say, God, you know, I'm not sure I'm willing to do this stuff yet, but I'm not going to argue with you anymore. God, I'm going to at least have the decency to say, you're right. I understand this, what I should do. I just don't want to do it. But God, I'm not going to rationalize anymore. I'm just going to say, God, you're right. I receive it. And my prayer will be, God, bring me to the point where I'm willing to do it. But for most of us, let's be honest, we've heard and heard and heard and we've received and received and received. It's time we do. It's time we quit talking about doing and we actually do. For some of you, it's just time that you begin to take responsibility for your life. For some of you, it's, it's time that you, you come clean about some area of your life that's been kept in darkness and kept in secret and just come clean to someone who could actually help you and, and hold you accountable as you begin to work through it. For some of you, you just need to come clean about you've been a lousy person. Maybe you need to catch up on your child support. Maybe you need to finally pay those back taxes. Maybe you've had a lousy attitude forever and you know it and you've talked about it. Maybe it's time you actually change your attitude. Here's one. Maybe it's time you quit gossiping on Facebook. Bam! You know? <laughs> I used to say this all the time. I still believe it. If you're on Facebook and you're over 30, you're a pervert. There you go. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Nothing good can come out of it. We don't care you took your dog for a walk. We just don't. We just don't. We don't care. We went through this whole series about love different. Remember that? And some of you still haven't forgiven the person that hurt you. It's time to do it. It's time to forgive. You know what to do. You just haven't done it. 
You want God to change you at the soul level, but you won't do and live life the way he says live life. He says, you forgive them as I forgave you. Unconditionally, totally. Some of you, it's time for you to ask forgiveness. For some of you, it's time to just say, I have been a lousy husband. I have been a lousy father. I have been a lousy mom. I have been a lousy wife. I am committed to changing. See, it, it's time we begin to serve. We have people at all of our campuses literally killing themselves because so many of us are such prima donnas. We don't think that we have to serve, but we expect to be served. It's time for us all to begin to serve. It's time for all of us to quit talking about giving or praying about giving. I'll never forget one time I was talking to a lady. I said, you ought to do this. She said, let me pray about it. I, I took her hand and said, let's pray right now. She was so uncomfortable. Why would you have to pray about something you know is the right thing to do? Just do it. Start giving. Start serving. Some of you just begin to study. God, need to study God's Word so the Word can be implanted in you and God can use that to work in your heart and soul. Some of you need to learn how to pray. Some of you need to finally quit talking about getting in a small group and get in a small group so that there can be some accountability in your life. It's time we stop thinking about this stuff and we just walk out of here and say, it's time to start doing this stuff. And God says, when you do it, you'll be blessable. You will position yourself where I can bless your life. But even more importantly, God says, I will fix your soul. That's what I'm committed to. I don't know what the next step is for you. You do. I hope you'll take it because nothing will ever change in your life till you do. Let's pray. Father, give us courage. We know, we know, we know, we know. We don't even need a message like this. We know exactly in our life what needs to be changed. We know where we're living outside the boundaries of what you've called us to do as Christians. We know that. We justify it. We argue with you. We say, all oh, that was for the Old Testament. All oh, that was in the 50s but we know. Give us the courage to do it. We can't change the past, but boy, we do have a say in the future. And fathers, if you're saying, I, this abundant life that my son talked about in John 10, 10, I'm holding it out to you. I want that for you, but you gotta work with me. It's not just gonna magically happen because you go to church or because you say you believe something. Eventually, you have to begin to live this life that I've called you to. May we see our lives begin to change because we trust you and we're gonna do what you ask us to do, Father. In your name we pray, amen.